Proverbs 22. It's where we're at today. We're looking at a message entitled Choose, all right? The title of the message is simply Choose, and we're going to be in the 22nd chapter because today is, of course, January 22nd. Now, by this time, in our march through Proverbs, Solomon has made it very clear that wisdom isn't something that you just fall into. You don't wake up one day and begin to live a wise life. No, it happens by a choice. And that choice is to walk in the wisdom that is laid out within the word of God. It isn't something about your environment or about just getting lucky. It is a daily choice to walk in the wisdom that God has laid out in his word. It's been said before that life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. And it's, and, it, and it's pretty true. Now, there's ultimately one choice that is most important, and that is to choose to whom we will serve. That's, that's to choose Jesus Christ as Lord. But there are daily decisions that we make every day, and it's within those decisions that begins to make uh, what kind of person we are. According to some research, the average American adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. I have no idea how they come up with that number. And I don't know if what, how that transfers to you as, uh, as a junior higher. I don't know if that's less or more. I have no idea. But the average American adult, they say, makes 35,000 decisions each day. Uh, I mean, and, and think about it, they're including everything. I think they're including like the decision to raise your hand or the decision to open your Bible or the decision, whatever, every decision. They uh, say 226 of those decisions are on food alone, um, which I feel like for some of us, it might be more. Um, with that being said, that's 2,000 decisions an hour and uh, one decision every two seconds. That's a lot of choices. That's a lot of decisions. And how do we make sure that those decisions are the right ones or the ones that God wants us to make? Well, he doesn't leave us to figure it out alone. We don't have to wonder what decisions to make. We only have to wonder if we don't know the word of God. But within the word Within the spoken, revealed scripture from God, in here is everything we need. I want to say to you today that his word is sufficient, okay? Anyone know what the word sufficient means? Anyone, who said that? Enough. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan, enough. His word is enough. Now, are there helpful things outside of the word of God? Sure, but there's nothing like God's word. And within God's word, we are told that he has provided everything we need. All of those decisions, I believe that we can have confidence and clarity knowing that within our daily choices, that we can make the right ones, the, the ones that God would want us to make. 2 Peter 1.3, just as a way of introduction, 2 Peter 1.3, 
we're told that God's divine power has given to us all things. Everyone say all things. things. Say it like you mean it. That pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. What this scripture is saying is that through the knowledge of God provided in the word of God, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness, which is not only to live a life, but to live a godly one. We don't need outside voices, outside tools. It, is, it can be helpful, but sometimes it can be destructive. But all we need is the word of God. It is sufficient. It is enough. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 through 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, every word of the Bible, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and don't miss the purpose that the man of God may be complete, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is within the contained scriptures of Genesis and Revelation that God says, everything you need to be complete is what I have provided. You just need to first know it and then to to choose to walk in it. You know, I find comfort within those 35,000 decisions a day. I find comfort in the fact that because we have the word, Because we have the scriptures that's beneficial for teaching, for instruction, for showing us what to do and how to do it, we don't need to be unclear. We don't need to be unsettled that we can confidently make the decisions that God would want us to make as we know his word. And so as we've been going through Proverbs, we've been given a lot of these nuggets of gold, these nuggets of wisdom. And really it comes down to a choice. Will we choose to walk in the ways of the Lord? And guys, often in life, this is what the, the question comes down to. Will you, listen, will you trust the way that God has said to go? You see, whenever we disobey, what we are saying without saying it is that we think, God, I got a better way. And so obedience and trusting God is simply acknowledging God, your way is the best way, and so I am going to choose with all those decisions I make to walk in your ways. So let's see what what Proverbs has to tell us today. Let's pray. Father, oh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Son of God that came into the world. And God, the gospel never gets old. It is the good news from heaven. It is within that simplicity of Christ that our souls are saved and sealed and one day will be delivered to heaven guaranteed. And God, with that assurance, that enables us, Lord, to have a freedom that is not found anywhere else. And today, as we look at some of these choices to make, we pray that we would have that clarity, that confidence that comes from the study of your word And God, today that we would not just be hearers only. We would not agree and testify and then walk out these doors and forget. But God, we ask that your words today would truly divide, Lord, past the physical into the spiritual. 
and Lord, that would, would truly transform the way that we live. And so God, we're trusting you to do that in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so before we get into uh, a couple of these choices that we're gonna talk about, I wanna point your attention uh, to a portion within this 22nd chapter, okay? This 22nd chapter from verses 17 through 21, there's kind of this break. For a long time prior to this section, there's a lot of these, uh, these chunks of wisdom, uh, what we call a proverb. It's kind of these two liners uh, that, are, that are absolute gold, wisdom. Uh, and then he kind of pauses here, and there's kind of this uh, separation. There's this kind of a, a section break, if you will. And then after this, for the next couple chapters, uh, the setting's a little bit different. Rather than just these two liners, uh, you'll notice after this section, starting in verse 22 and on, uh, he, he begins to kind of have more of a, a, a three or four line sayings. But nonetheless, I think it's good for us to pause here for a moment before we continue on. Look in your Bibles. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 17. You guys, you guys there? Look at verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of the truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. There have been many proverbs we've looked at, and especially if you have been participating in the challenge, then you've been looking at them on the off days of service as well. And there's gonna be still a handful of proverbs to go until the end, the end of the month. And it would be an absolute waste if we got so used to them that we stopped really taking them in, that we just kind of listened to them and, and, and we said, that was nice, that's smart, and then just kind of moved on. And so there's almost a reminder here. Look at verse 17 again. He says, he says incline your ear. He says, listen, hear, don't, don't stop listening. And he says, let them get into your heart. He says, apply them, let it get down in your heart. He says, it is good. It's pleasant for this to get within you. And then notice in verse 19 there that he says that, that they might be fixed upon your lips. The idea is that these proverbs, these bits of wisdom, wouldn't just be trophies on the shelf, but they would be with you daily. To be fixed on your lips is to be ready for use. You see, as we've read so many proverbs so far, not all of them are gonna apply to us in that moment. But as we live our life, as those 35,000 daily decisions happen, there's going to come a time when we need to draw from the wisdom of Proverbs and we need to be ready to put them into action. And, and notice here in, in verse then uh, 19 as well, he says, so, so that your trust may be in the Lord. What's the purpose of learning all this wisdom? To choose wisdom is to trust in the Lord. You see, when you, you often, you will only listen to someone you trust, right? 
if someone random comes up to you and tells you something, you're going to be leery of the words that they have to say. But if there's someone who is a trusted voice in your life, you're, you're going to be more apt to listen to them. And so listening and trusting, they go hand in hand. And it's all for the purpose that we might know that God's way really is the best way. Notice then in verse 21, it says that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, meaning that in your life, you would not just know them, but you would have experience to say, no, I know that the ways of God are better because I've experienced it. He says, what I love, I can stand up here confidently before you and the topics we're going to talk about, I can tell you in confidence that this is tried and true in my life, which just creates a, a freedom to just know that the way that I'm living is, is, is the right way. But you can only know that, you can only experience that certainty or that dependability as you then choose to walk in the ways of God. So, you guys ready for the first choice? All right, the first choice uh, within this 22nd chapter is to choose reputation over riches. Verse 1, to choose reputation over riches. We're going to look at a total of three choices today, and this is the first one. Reputation over riches. Verse 1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Okay, I want you to look in your Bibles and look at verse one. Do you see the word good? It should be italicized in your Bibles. You know what that is, right? Italicized means it's kind of slanted. Okay, when words are italicized in your Bible, it means that that word is not directly in the original language. So your Bible that you have in front of you is in English. English. Well, well, at least I think most of you have an English Bible. And that was translated from Hebrew. Now, the word good is not originally there in Hebrew. Translated literally, it says a name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Now, the translators rightly put the word good because that could get confusing translated into English, because you and I typically don't have the ability to change our names. Well, now in our culture, you, I guess you could be and change your name to anything. But typically, your name right, is given to you at birth. It's not something you choose. Uh, so that's typically something you don't have control over. So we know that it's not just talking about your name, but it's talking about your reputation. A good name is to be chosen or a good reputation. Now, while we don't pick our name, we do pick our reputation. Now, we don't pick it in the sense that we get to have a list and we say, yep, I like that one. I'm going to choose that reputation. Typically, a reputation comes by the, by the daily decisions, those 35,000 all accumulated and in, in, in with people's perspective, that you begin then to have a reputation. Now, it isn't always as straightforward as that because sometimes people can um, have a reputation that is not fitting to who they actually are, but we'll get into that in a moment. 
Well, the Bible here says then as well, loving favor, that we're to choose a good name and loving favor, meaning to be respected and highly esteemed. The Bible says, and it doesn't always work like this, but the Bible says if you had two buttons and on those two buttons, you could either push reputation, a good reputation or riches. The Bible says that what's more valuable, a good reputation that will be more valuable in your life. Why? Well, because riches can fade, right? Someone who has money one day uh, could not have money the next. Even there's a verse in Proverbs that says money has a way of, of uh, sprouting wings and flying away. Now, does that actually happen? No, but money can be spent like that. But a reputation, that's a lot harder to get rid of. A reputation can even go beyond someone's life on this side of eternity. A reputation can last a lifetime and beyond. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says, A good name or a reputation is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, uh, for the sake of time, we don't have to get into all the implications of precious ointment. Uh, back in the day, as that was something of, of value, of benefit, uh, you know, they didn't have bath and body works like we do now. And so uh, apparently precious ointment was something of value. He said, hey, it's better. But also look at the contrast here, or the addition, should I say, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Why would someone's death day be better than their birthday? Usually we rejoice at birthdays. We don't rejoice at people's death days. However, for the person, listen, for the person who has a good reputation, that that death day can actually be of, of, of celebration. Why? Because they lived a life that had impact and influence on others. They, they, they were known to be people, say, of integrity or honesty, that to come to the day that you die with a good reputation intact is something to be desired. We find this idea as well in the New Testament when it comes to reputation. This was something that the disciples looked for when God was building the early church and the church was expanding and the needs were expanding and they needed to find people to help out for the ministry. We're told in Acts chapter 6 verse 3, this was one of the things that was looked for. They said, okay, who can take care of some of these needs within the church. They said, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of, what does it say? Good reputation. They also need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who we may appoint over this business. Guys, this idea of a good reputation is that people would affirm that you have a good witness or good testimony. It's to conduct yourself in a way that other people who know you would be willing to put their name on the line for you. For example, when you get older, and some of you have already had to do this, depending on if you go to private school, but schools and jobs often require references. And these are people that know you in your life that can attest to your what? To your reputation. That, that oftentimes I'll have students that ask me to... Uh, you know, fill out a reference for the school that they're going to. 
whether it's a, a private high school or something, and they need a pastoral reference. Well, within those references, I'm honest, uh, always honest, and, but I'm, that, if I'm saying something good, and I'm saying this person has a good reputation, that means I'm willing to put my name, my reputation on the line for theirs. And so we see this in scripture that regarding someone who is within the leadership of a church, specifically a pastor, a pastor is to have a good reputation, not just within the church, but outside the church. It's actually one of the qualifications. When Paul was telling Timothy of what kind of man should be a pastor, 1 Timothy 3, 7, Paul says moreover, he must have a good testimony. Do you guys see that? That's the same idea, good reputation among those who are outside the church, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. And this makes sense. All believers are to uphold their witness, not be perfect, okay? To have a good reputation doesn't mean you are a perfect person or else no one would have a good reputation. But that overall, you're someone who's trustworthy. You're someone who's dependable. You're someone that someone can lean on. And how much more should a uh, say someone that's in the position of a pastor be that way. Why? They, why should they have this good testimony? Because they should, they should practice what they preach and so not to be a hypocrite. And so not only is this for every believer, but especially uh, for the one who is in, say, church leadership because they have the ability to stumble. They have the ability to say one thing from the pulpit on a Sunday but then if they're doing another thing, do you think people are going to listen to them? If you, if you saw me telling you about something today, and then on Tuesday you saw me at the store and I was doing something the opposite of what I told you to do, would you want to listen to me the next Sunday? No. You don't expect perfection. But, but for the, the pastor, there should be this good testimony, this good reputation. This is something that Jesus had. Jesus had a good reputation for many years. Luke 2, 52 said, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You know, despite some of his, uh, the, the interesting dynamics of his, of his birth story, Jesus, according to, to Luke, for the most part, as he grew physically and spiritually, that he had favor. He had that loving favor with not only God, of course, but with mankind. However, there's a balance to this, right? Because Jesus, who was literally perfect, did he always maintain a good reputation with everyone? No. I mean, so much so that there, there was so many lies about things he did, right? That he was arrested unjustly, then, then brought to the, the court of the high priest and and people got up and gave false testimony, lied about things that Jesus said and did. So much so that that, cum, uh, 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 that culminated in people saying, crucify him, crucify him. Did he do anything wrong? But what happened to his reputation? It was tarnished by lies, by slander, and this can happen. So what do we do in that case? Do we make sure, because we're to choose a good reputation, do we make sure to, to really care so much about what people say that, that we go to the, every person? We, no, we follow the example 
of Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verse 22 and 23, talks about uh, what Jesus suffered at the hand of those who, uh, who, no, who came against him in this way. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, what did he do? Did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Okay, so there's a balance in this. Do you want to do as best to your ability to maintain a good reputation? Absolutely. And that happens by those, those daily decisions that make up your reputation. But sometimes uh, there's going to be people that misconstrue and, and, and lie. And so we take Jesus's instruction which is just to commit ourselves to him who ultimately will judge right, righteously and he sees past all of that stuff, okay? Does, does that make sense? So what's the conclusion of this? I have found within that balance of, okay, we should care about our reputation, but at the end of the day, God knows all. This is what we are to focus on. If we focus and care about Jesus's name, then our reputation will just be exactly what God wants it to be. We just focus, everything we do, if we have the perspective of, okay, I represent Jesus and I want his name to be esteemed. I want his name, I want people to know his name and I want people to think rightly about Jesus, then our reputation, God will sort that out and will be exactly what he wants us to be, okay? So reputation over riches. Next, we are to choose giving over getting. Giving over getting. We find this in verse 9. If we had two choices, we are to choose giving over getting. It is better. It is the blessed way. Verse 9 says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. I like how this verse puts it, a generous eye. It's not just a generous person, but it's someone who goes and looks for opportunities. How can I give from what I have? This is someone who doesn't just, not only is willing, but is pursuing. And the Bible says that you will be blessed, that he who has a generous eye is looking for those opportunities and takes advantage of them, will have divine favor from God. And if you know anything about the Bible, you want to have God's blessing in your life. And so Solomon kind of clarifies and gives an example uh, right there in the same verse. He says, for he gives of his bread to the poor. So someone with a generous eye, he's gonna see someone in need and look to fill that need. And this theme of generosity and poverty is something that has come up in the book of Proverbs more than once. If you've been reading along with us day by day, you'll have recalled, uh, you might be able to recall some of those verses. Even within this chapter, the same chapter 22, Solomon has some things to say about the person who does wrong to the poor. Let's check it out. Proverbs twenty-two sixteen. This is the person who is the opposite of the verse we just read in verse 9. This is someone who has a greedy eye. 
okay? The person with a greedy eye, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. God says, I will make sure that if you take from people who are already in need, that you, will, you yourself will come to poverty. Now, whether that is the material wealth of this world or something even more, check out then verse 22 and 23. It says, do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause, and notice this, and plunder. It means to take from the soul of those who plunder them. This is pretty intense. God says, I take how you treat people in need personally. And he says, you know, he says, don't rob the poor because he is poor. Now that might be a strange concept to you. I would think many of you have been taught the right way and you've been instructed by ultimately the word of God, but maybe the parents like, man, you can't even think of stealing from someone who's already in need. Well, this is how many people in the world think. This is how someone who has a greedy eye thinks. They look after, they go after the one who is uh, who's most vulnerable, which is oftentimes those who don't have the material wealth to say properly protect themselves. And so they go after the weak. They go after him who has nothing and take what they have for themselves to increase their own riches. And God says, look at, look at verse 23. He says, I will plead their cause. He says, I will plunder not just the life physically, but I will, I will go after the soul of those who plunder the poor. It's really clear that God takes the treatment of those who need seriously and personally. Proverbs 19, verse 17. On, in the opposite way, though, because he takes it personally, not only will he says, hey, if you take from someone who's already in need and you're not, and you take from what they really don't have, and I, will, I will see to it that you're dealt with. On the opposite, God says, hey, if you give to someone in need, God says, don't think I won't see it. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. Now we know this is absolutely true with the stories that Jesus told. When he talked about in Matthew 25, the least of these. He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. God says, if you give to someone, it's as if, in need, it's as if you are giving to Jesus himself. And God says, you better believe I will pay back. And God I believe he's going to pay back pretty good what he has been given. Pastor Jack always says, you can't outgive God. And it's true. As much as you give to someone in the name of Jesus, God says, I will make sure that you are blessed doubly. And this is one of the, the funnest things about serving God and, and doing things for God. God doesn't have to pay us back, right? He could just instruct us, give to those in need. And God says, I'll, I'll still let you into heaven. I mean, it could be that simple, but God says, no, I'm a kind of God who sees what you do in this life and I will make sure you will be more paid back 
than you could possibly believe. Now, ultimately, we aren't to have this perspective of, right, well, I'm going to give so that God can give to me. But it is, it is nice. It, it is pretty awesome knowing that when we give to someone, it's not for nothing. And it's not just for that moment, but God sees it in eternity. The New Testament instruction that we have comes in Mark 9, 41. When Jesus says, I love how simple this is. I mean, we're not talking about big things. We're not talking about million dollar donations to charity just to get a tax write-off. No, we're talking about little actions. He who has a generous eye. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, as surely I say to you, he will by no means means lose his reward. So this was, this was a, a different kind of context, but we have our instruction here in the sense of when we give, we are to do it in the name of Jesus. There are people who can be generous and they might have their motivations, but our motivation is to be in Jesus's name. And so I, take, I like to take this quite literally. And so when, when, uh, when there are opportunities to be generous, uh, I, I try to make sure that people know it's not me, that this is because of Jesus. Uh, so whether that, you know, Tate and I will go to a, a Christian club and we'll have a, some leftover donuts. And so we're walking out and there's kids that are not involved in the Christian club, you know, and they, and they like, oh, can I have a donut? And, you know, we, we usually make them pause for a moment and tell them about Jesus. What we make sure when they grab that donut, we say, this is not from us. Don't even thank us. Well, they, I mean, they think us, it's fine. But we say, hey, we say this, is, this is from Jesus. This is, this is his donut. Here's your Jesus donut. Now, we don't use all those words necessarily, but we make sure there's that concept. Um, man, and it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a blessing. I'm telling you guys. See, our sin nature is, is all about getting. It's all about what, it, what is in it for me. Yet, even within giving, what you experience in, in regards to joy and excitement is awesome. Um, this is an example we saw back in chapter 11, Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more, meaning that they give, yet somehow they keep, they keep growing. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. This is true. Now, it's not always this physical return, right? What God is not promising is that, okay, if you give someone 10 bucks, then when you get home in your wallet, there's gonna magically appear 20 bucks because God says, well, if you give, I'm gonna make sure you get paid back. Now, sometimes God blesses the material blessings and we praise God for that. But honestly, that's not even the most exciting blessing that God gives, it's the inner joy, satisfaction, and excitement that comes from giving that you can't buy. You can't get anywhere else except doing what God has said. Uh, you know, one of the things that really excites Haley and I, sometimes we have the opportunity to, to give a little bit more. I can't wait till maybe one day uh, we can give more. But, you know, sometimes we'll go to a restaurant and... Uh, you know, maybe we had a discount or a gift card. It's like, oh, we have some like extra money. Let's, let's give to the server. And, uh, you know, there's, and it's, it's not like happening every time. Don't think that, you know, Joel's just like rolling in, the, rolling in the dough. But there's those times when we can give a little bit extra. And so, you know, on the, on the tip, you, normally servers, like they get, they don't get tipped very well. And so 
you know, say our meal's worth 20 bucks, we'll give like a $40 tip or something like that. And it's just like so unexpected, but always on the receipt, like we'll write, you know, like from Jesus or Jesus loves you or something like that. Some indication that, hey, this isn't from us. This is from him. And that's exciting. That's like fun. You know, I've shared with you guys before that I just love, I love getting gifts. Um, I told you this around Christmas time. Like I love opening gifts. That's like, it's just, I just love it. It's fun. And maybe you're like, yeah, doesn't everyone? No, like I really like it, okay? Um, But I have found way more joy in times like that where we don't even know like what that server thought or expected or whatever, but just leaving knowing like, man, okay, this, this, was, this was cool. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This is what Jesus said when Paul quoted Jesus. He said, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it's true. And you will never know unless you choose giving over getting. You choose giving over getting. It is the wise way to live because God says, I will see to it. I take it personally. You will be paid back and paid back more than you had ever given. All right, I wanna go into this verse for a moment and then we'll move on to our third and final one. Okay, so during his ministry, I read this verse, guys, the other day and I, I didn't even it felt like I never read it in my life. Now, the first line and the bottom line I got and I understood. So Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. (laughs) For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so I've, I've heard the concept of like give and it's gonna be given to you. God says, with whatever measure you give, it'll be measured back to you. But then there's this middle part that was like, huh, what's going on? So I looked into a little bit. Okay, have you guys ever been to like Sprouts before? Okay, you know those like big barrels of bulk of like nuts and candy and all kinds of things? Okay, so I want you to have that in your mind because not that that's how it used to be, but, but grocery stores were much, they didn't have grocery stores back then. And so imagine going there with a container, okay? And I know they, they usually fill up the bags, but imagine a container and you were to go and you were to fill up a, a you know, a, a, a pound of that, those nuts or the chocolate or the grain or whatever. Okay. So that's the picture here. When it says good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. So the scene is, is the purchasing of, of something, say like grain that they would go to the market or whatever, they would, they, would, they would measure out. And when it says good measure, it says when you give what will be given back to you, it's gonna be good. It's not gonna be skimpy. It's not, you're not gonna be cut short, but it's gonna be pressed down. This is the picture that, that the grain in that container would be pressed down so that all the spaces are filled and the container could hold as much as possible. So it's pressed down, but then it's shaken together, that the container is shaken so that the grain or whatever it is could fill every possible container. And then it's running over. God says that what I will give to you in return is going to run over as if that container was just overflowing. And so this idea, and then of course, that will be, 
running over will be put into your bosom. Okay, the bosom is just like, a, like your lap. Like the picture is now, now your container is full and so you, got, you have to open your pockets or, or start filling in your shirt. God says, you will not believe what I will give back to you. It is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, you guys got it? All right, let's move on. Last one, labor over laziness. Finally, the wise person, the one who follows the ways of God will choose labor over laziness. This one is fun, okay? This one is fun. Uh, There's some wild proverbs, and this is certainly one of them. Verse 13, look in your Bibles. The lazy man says, there is a lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. I remember the first time reading this verse going, what? Why is this in the Bible? What's going on? Why is the lazy man talking about a lion and fearful of dying? So lazy man, this is someone who Solomon has talked about before, right? This is not the first appearance of this type of person. This is the sluggard, the slothful, the person who is continually inactive, no initiative, no discipline, Lazy. Everyone say lazy. lazy. So notice one of the characteristics of this lazy man. Look in your Bibles. Look at verse 13. That this lazy man says, he talks. Lazy man speaks, but he doesn't do anything. A lot of talk and no walk. And at first glance, this can seem like bizarre. Why, why does the lazy man say that there's a lion in the street? Well, notice that he says it, but the proverb never confirms if it's ever true or not. I believe that Solomon is seeking to lead us to the absurdity of this statement. There is no lion in the street. Where, where do you find lions? Okay, yeah, for us zoo. I don't know if they had zoos back then. Uh, but right, you don't find them in the streets. It, it's, it's an unrealistic fear. What's happening? Why, and why, if, if the lion is in the street, why is he gonna go after this lazy guy? What's going on here? It's clear that this lazy man has made up the excuse of the lion and has used his supposed fear to enable him to do nothing. It's not only an excuse, but it's an exaggeration. And that is what lazy people do. One of the qualities of a lazy person is he is king at excuses for why he can't do something. And not only are the excuses flying, but the exaggeration is apparent, is there. So laziness breeds excuses, okay? So that's the lazy man, that he'll, he'll make up anything just so that he doesn't have to do anything. There's a lion in the streets, it's gonna kill me, all right? It's an excuse. But on the flip side, look at verse 29. Look in your Bibles, last verse of, 20, of chapter 22. On the flip side, Solomon asked the question, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings he will not stand before unknown men. Someone who excels in their work is someone who is skilled and experienced. Skilled and experienced. There's an implication that they worked hard, there was diligence, that they were 
hardworking in their work, and so they excelled in what he does. The result of this hard work will be influence in front of influential people like kings. The idea is that the hard work is going to be recognized and rewarded. And for us, there is a reason that we get to stand before a king, and it's not our work, but we still will get to one day stand before a king. His name will be Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he will give us rewards according to our work. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. It means with all of your heart, all of your might, knowing why that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. I'm telling you guys, choose labor over laziness. And not just, I'm just gonna you know, work hard. There's people in the world who are hard workers that, have, that want nothing to do with Jesus. What, all the hard work they do on this side of eternity will amount to nothing when they die. They will only be remembered in name only, but once eternity happens, even their own name will be blotted from the book of life itself. But for you and I, everything we do, every action, hard work, and labor we put in for Jesus, God says to us, I will see to it that you are rewarded. It's very similar in the sense of giving versus getting. Laziness is very desirable in the moment, right? Oh, I just, just 10 more minutes in my nice comfy bed and you snooze the alarm or whatever the, the choice is. In the moment, laziness seems like this is the best thing for me. But the thing with lazy people is the things that they make excuses for and exaggerations of, it, it is actually their laziness that keeps them from what they actually desire. Solomon had a lot to say on this subject. Let's look at a couple of the verses. Proverbs 12, 27, this one's fun. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. So the picture is the lazy man actually does a, will do a little bit of work like for this, he'll go and hunt something, but then be like, nah, just throw it away. I'm, I'm good. She's like, what? It's a waste. So even the little bit of work that the lazy man does do, he's too lazy to actually benefit from anything he does. But on the flip side, diligence, hard work, labor is man's precious possession. Proverbs 15, 19 says, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. Meaning, listen, Everyone look at me. It hurts to be lazy. Now, it might not hurt in the moment, but over time, the way, the path that the lazy person is, is going for themselves, it's like a hedge of thorns. It will poke you and it will hurt. But on the flip side, the way of the upright is the highway. It's, it's, it's clear. It's smooth. It's prepared. Proverbs 21, 25, last verse of the day, the desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. Ultimately, it is that desire to do nothing that will ultimately come back 
and put an end to the lazy man himself. And so for us, we got to choose labor over laziness. And we have more, more than enough motivation in Jesus. Reputation over riches, giving over getting, labor over, over laziness. These are just three of the many, many topics the Bible says. But listen, if you leave those topics in your Bible and not let them get out through your life, it'll be all for nothing. And so let's commit ourselves to walk in the ways of the Lord. Amen? Father, we thank you for your direction. We thank you for your instruction and that you have not left us to figure it out alone. And God, we ask that you'd help us to do this. We know, um, Lord, that our flesh will choose riches, getting, and laziness every day of the week. But God, we thank you that um, our old man has been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who live, but Christ is to live in us and through us. And that's what we want today. We know that the answer to, to, to everything we, we go through is, is Jesus in us and through us. So God, we ask that you, Lord, would give us the reputation that you want us to have, or that we want it so focus on, on, on making sure, Lord, that, that, our, that our name is out there, but that through our dedication to you and to exalting the name of Jesus, Lord, the reputation we have would be exactly what you'd want it, that people would see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. God, we ask that you would be the one that would give us a generous eye. We know our nature and it's to clench our fists. It's to hold it back. It's to keep the dollar in our pocket. It's to take the last slice of pizza. But God, we ask that you would give us a generous eye because that's what you have. And Father, finally, that you would put in us the desire to go all out in everything we do. Lord, we'd have the times of rest, sure. Have the times of sleeping in. But God, that laziness would not be a characteristic of the Christian life that we walk. That every day, every moment, we would choose to walk in the ways of God. Lord, all 35,000 decisions today and however many left are, are here today. Lord, some insignificant, but some important. And God, we ask for your hand in our lives. And so we love you and look to you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.